Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. So uh, my name's Gary West and I'm the Senior Professional Officer at PDL. I'm one of four pharmacist professional officers at PDL um, based all around the country and I'm on the Gold Coast at Young and Bear Country. Thank you. Um, So we've just gotten to the end of 2023. So can you tell me some of the top stories or considerations or articles for the PDL for 2023 that has piqued pharmacists' interest? So when it comes to things like our practice alerts and other articles, um, we've had quite a, a few put out, particularly quite a few recently in the last month or so, and some great interest shown, particularly in areas like um, deferring and declining supply, which was partly related to the 60-day dispensing issue, because we were experiencing a number of calls from employee pharmacists, particularly who were finding it very challenging to decide you know, what their obligations and responsibilities were in regards to assessing a 60-day um, prescription um, for its validity. Um, and mindful that the PBS requirements have a restriction on this, the prescribing of it, uh, but our uh, alert and our advice is to pharmacists that really they should be um, raising concerns in regards to um, risk of harm to the patient and their clinical and professional obligations associated with that um, that prescription, just like they do for any other prescription. So while we recognise the 60-day dispensing issue is a very challenging issue for the profession, um, uh, the um, declining of supply based purely on a 60-day prescription being written that may not necessarily meet those restrictions is something that pharmacists need to be very, very careful about. And so we had um, a really high open rate with that article and there's a lot of, um, I suppose, a little bit of guidance and reassurance for pharmacists about how they might approach the situation for both the patient and the doctor around that 60-day dispensing. Um, I suppose um, one of the other ones that we've had uh, some high interest in is um, we put out a simple alert called Incident Reporting 101 um, and uh, we commonly have people say, you know, I've never had to speak to you previously, you know, and we appreciate that, that people don't necessarily want to speak to us unless they've got a problem. But sometimes um, just making pharmacists aware about uh, how to report incidents both internally in their organisations as well as externally to their insurance providers is so important because contemporaneous notes, particularly that are, you know, got some context, that have got reasoning, have got um, some details that help support the pharmacist if down the track there is uh, some sort of action or claim made against them is so important. Um, And so I think sometimes pharmacists don't think about that process of documenting um, incidents or other interactions with patients that could go pear-shaped. And so um, our Incident 101, even though it's sort of a fairly sort of simple and basic sort of article, I think was just a a really nice reminder that sometimes you've got to think about yourself as well um, when it comes to any sort of incident uh, or interaction that possibly didn't go as well as possible as expected or maybe if you've just got a sense that this person or this situation might you know escalate a little bit further so there are a couple of ones and if you don't mind me just referencing one we put out 
very recently, so in mid-December, we put out an article about professional boundaries. Um, and um, particularly at this time of year, even though um, you know it's important every all, all year round, we are seeing an increase a little bit in regards to some professional boundary complaints where allegations are being made against pharmacists uh, breaching those sort of expectations. Um, and it's not just sexual harassment, but that is certainly one of the topics. But things like bullying, uh, discrimination, um, other activities that are considered to be a breach of boundaries. And I think sometimes pharmacists work with technicians, you know, very closely, um, rely on each other a lot. And sometimes there might be some, you know, good humoured you know, discussions and, and mucking around. Um, uh, but sometimes you also have to just be very mindful of understanding where the boundaries are. Uh, and so for anybody who is listening to the podcast and hasn't had a look at that boundaries article, it was written in conjunction with um, lawyers from Meridian Lawyers. I'd really uh, encourage people to look at that because um, that's an area where um, pharmacists don't necessarily think about their responsibilities in that area, particularly towards their colleagues and co-workers. So they're probably a couple of the most recent articles that have had sort of uh, really strong um, engagement um, from uh, PDL members. Absolutely. Throughout 2023, you've probably had quite a few uh, comments and questions from different pharmacists. Have there been any, um, I guess, overall topics that have been of interest to pharmacists for the PDL? Uh, there's always lots of things happening, as you probably understand, Colleen. But um, certainly COVID vaccines are still uh, an area of some confusion and contention. And with the release recently of the XBB variant um, and some um, um, con confusion in regards to the advice between Department of Health, ATAGI, Immunisation Handbook, it's raising um, some extra concerns about um, people who might be seeking a second 2023 booster when they have no risk factors or other health conditions. And that puts pharmacists in a very difficult position. Um, pharmacists are very mindful that they need to be uh, following the ATAGI guidance and uh, need to be making claims through the PPA uh, only for the services that are covered by the ATAGI guidance. And when we get um, contradictory advice from different um, departments, um, it puts pharmacists in a very difficult position. Um, and particularly when pharmacists are being faced with patients who are demanding to be vaccinated when they don't meet you know, the eligibility criteria. So again, we're um, assisting quite a few pharmacists in, in December um, with these sort of inquiries, and we hope that the health department will shortly make some clarification. And we've also hoped the organisations like the PSA and the, the Pharmacy Guild will support the profession by seeking clarity on that issue. That's certainly a hot topic at the time we're talking. Across the year, I've probably got to say the one that sort of often comes up um, is medicinal cannabis. It's a it's an area where there's a lot of activity. Um, the volumes are increasing significantly. Uh, there's a lot of um, challenges associated with things like um, uh, online prescribers, telehealth prescribers, a vertical integration between <coughs> prescribers, suppliers and dispensers in some cases. Um, and there's obviously a lot of regulation around it. Uh, and, you know, apart from the two TGA approved products, you know, there's hundreds of other products that are not TGA approved uh, with supply issues uh, and with other challenges. Um, and so PDL put out a, a practice alert a little bit earlier 
um, in the second half of the year about medicinal cannabis and just to remind our members um, and pharmacists uh, about the considerations with dispensing medicinal cannabis, you know, making sure that they've checked all the, the legal aspects uh, are covered, but also this issue about the quantities being supplied, the, the intervals, uh, and if there's doubt, um, just ensuring that the patient understands that the pharmacist has an autonomous independent duty of care to the patient, to the registering body, and that sometimes they need to clarify things with the prescriber. If the prescriber is not available at the time and is hard to contact, which is often the case, that's not the pharmacist's fault. The pharmacist is doing their very best, but if there's an issue that needs to be clarified, the pharmacist really need to make sure the patient understands that the, the responsibility for the clarity is um, with the doctor. Uh, and we would just hope that pharmacists don't get um, pushed into doing things that they might regret down the track. Um, so medicinal cannabis is continuing to be a challenging area and I don't expect that to change soon. I would just encourage any pharmacist dealing with it to make sure that they comply with all their regulatory obligations, all the recording, all the storage issues, um, uh, but also think about the professional practice aspects um, that um, it is a, a medicine just like any other medicine and they need to treat it with this, the same regard and they've still got that um, duty of care to the patient to comply with. Thank you. <clears throat> I would say, um, so what, based on what's happened in 2023, and I guess where we're finishing off the year, mm. what are some of your thoughts or projections on what might 2024 might look like? I, I think 2024 is, you know, it's going to be a, a, a great year for pharmacists. There's a lot of opportunities and, and sometimes at PDL, you know, we might be seen to be sort of always negative because obviously we're there to protect pharmacists when things don't go to plan um, and to support them. And, um, but we're very, you know, we're very positive about the future for the profession. Um, from an, an organisational perspective, we're looking to in, yeah, support the expansion of scope of practice in many areas. And as listeners would probably be aware, you know, we've supported pharmacists in pilots for vaccination, for UTI supply. We're supporting the, uh, the North Queensland or the Queensland scope of practice pilot, um, which is expanding. We're supporting the New South Wales pilot with um, OCP and skin. We're supporting the Victorian pilot, um, those pharmacists and that as well. So this expansion in activities and scope, some might call it prescribing, others structured dispensing, however you want to approach it, um, is a lot of opportunity for pharmacists um, and allows us to be using our skills, uh, our experience and our knowledge to, to benefit the patients um, and the public in general. So there's a lot of opportunity there and I'd really encourage pharmacists around the country to look into uh, how they best can prepare for this expansion in scope if they're not already involved in their jurisdiction. Undoubtedly, it's going to come just like vaccination has, you know, become uh, nationwide. Um, UTI is heading the same way, OCP, skin, these sort of things, they will uh, filter out across the country. So be proactive, look at the training programs now so that when it does get expanded in your jurisdiction, you're ready to go. Uh, and to talk with your colleagues and talk with um, pharmacy owners, or if you're an owner, you know, talk with your staff about getting prepared. You know, do you have the, the right sort of consultation room? If in the future you're going to do this service, how can you best prepare for it now? Upskill your staff, um, make sure your IT systems are robust. Think about um, uh, staffing levels and workload capacity. There's great opportunities um, across the profession. Um, and, you know, we really think that 2024 is going to be a very positive year. 
I'd also just like to flag that, you know, there's a leaps and bounds in regards to the hospital area. Um, there's a lot of um, partnered, uh, pharm partnered pharmacist medication charting and also prescribing uh, happening in many jurisdictions and some further pilots. Again, we're very happy to support pharmacists in those activities. And again, there's a great opportunity for hospital-based pharmacists to expand their skill set, um, their opportunities, and again, make a, a significant difference to the patients in those, in, um, those hospitals. <coughs> So I know you can't get into specifics for, um, I guess, uh, questions or problems that have come to PDL, but have there been any, I guess, general terms? Like I'm thinking in hospitals, there's more technicians working. Have you had more questions regarding those? Or I'm just wondering in general, um, have there been any, because I guess when we're talking about pharmacy, I say that this year has been a big discussion about funding. It's been, that's pretty much been the overarching theme. <laughs> um, yes. So I was wondering for PDL, have there been any other overarching themes as well? Um, well, workload capacity is a really challenging issue at the moment. We all know that the profession needs more pharmacists in both community and hospital settings. Um, and, you know, pharmacists have to be working smart and efficiently, and that also puts more pressure on them that they're doing everything properly and professionally. Uh, you know, you can only spread yourself so thin. And, you know, if you want to be doing sort of consultancy kind of work and um, other um, sort of pilot prescribing sort of uh, activities as well as vaccination, as well as dispensing, you've got to be very, very careful and you've got to make sure that you've got the time, the capacity and and, and the ability to do it. Um, you know, with regard to hospitals, you talk about technicians. I'm sure that, you know, there is lots of interest in that sector in um, upskilling technicians and possibly seeing um, technicians do some um, some more work to take the load uh, off the pharmacist to a degree. You know, that's obviously up to the regulatory authorities as well as the um, the representative organisations to, to ensure there is some sort of structure for that. Um, and, you know, it, it would be great to see more pharmacists being able to use their clinical skills. Um, um, and perhaps there is an opportunity for technicians to do more of the logistical work. And again, PDL will work with the professions um, to try and you know, support pharmacists um, be safe and efficient as possible. Um, and you know, we're always trying to see the best outcome for pharmacists. Um, regarding um, community pharmacies, um, we are seeing that you know, post COVID pandemic, pandemic this year as things sort of settled down that there was a lot of exhaustion and fatigue in the profession um, totally understandable and and we we hope that you know people are able to recharge a little bit at the end of this year um, and it seems that a lot of people are looking towards the the holiday period to sort of reset and recharge a bit um, but we have probably seen an increase in some relatively sort of straightforward dispensing errors and incidents um, in community settings part primarily because of those fatigue and workload capacity issues. And so it just reiterates to us and hopefully to the profession that they always need to be thinking about the, the patient themselves. And despite, you know, the, the number of people that you might have to serve, every single time you dispense something, every single time you think or check something clinically, you've got to be focused. And that is hard when you're you're tired or you're short staffed. Um, and you've just got to sometimes say, well, I can only do so much. People are gonna to have to wait. If that's not convenient, we're very sorry, but we'd rather you wait or you maybe even have to go elsewhere rather than a, a mistake be made that might have a consequence for a patient. So again, 
thinking about the individual, um, thinking about your professional responsibility, um, and you know, not pushing yourself past the point of exhaustion and and um, impacting your concentration. So, to long answer for a short question, I suppose we're not seeing any particular theme with incidents, but we do see that fatigue and uh, workload capacity are potentially likely contributing factors in a lot of um, reports to us. And how about electronic prescribing? Electro uh, it's good in many respects, but like any system, it's only as good as the system, the software and the user. Uh, we're still seeing some problems with electronic prescriptions, um, but it, it seems to be partly the prescribing software issue, and that's very hard to control. Um, we have seen a number of cases this year where doctors are making annotations um, on electronic prescriptions which don't appear in the, 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 the screen with the dispensing sort of information, and some pharmacists and techs are missing those annotations, and, and there's been incidents because of that. Classically, it's because there's um, stage supply directions, so supply a small quantity, whereas the patient is given the full pack, um, or, or intervals between dispensings um, that is not sort of a straight out stage supply. But those sort of annotations are sometimes being missed, so we're always encouraging pharmacists to make sure that they're always checking all details. Um, um, but Generally, electronic prescriptions are great, and also particularly for those um, monitored medicines, the things that are of higher illicit value or higher risk. Um, you know, electronic prescriptions give you uh, gives you a lot more peace of mind that it's a valid prescription, um, and uh, and allows pharmacists to to you know just make their decisions a little bit uh, with a bit more comfort. Um, so, yeah, I think they're they're a good system, and we need to see more of them. And with the opioid replacement therapy changes this year as well, has there been <coughs> has has that had an impact? It had a significant impact for anybody in that sector. They would know it better than me. It was a nightmare to deal with, and I just have to say, you know, I think pharmacists did a great job. They are really trying their very very best for their clients um, who deserve assistance, who deserve support. And I think it's fantastic that there's an opportunity for them to, to have the medicine subsidised. Um, it was just the implementation that was a nightmare. And I know we had many calls, as did all the organisations, about how difficult that was to deal with. And I think that, that the profession should be recognised by the health department and by consumer organisations for the great work that they did in transitioning their clients from one system to the other with, you know, very minimal impact of significance. Um, this, there were complaints, of course, and, and it was very challenging and it still is challenging. But I think when you think about what we did nationally, again, the profession demonstrated how important it is to the public and, and it deserves the recognition and reward for that. So I, I hope more pharmacists take on board um, these clients. They really benefit from the therapy. Um, I know there's still issues, but um, I think we haven't had any calls recently. Clearly, pharmacists have managed to find, um, you know, uh, the appropriate um, process, and so have prescribers, thankfully. So I guess my 
final question, but I'll always ask if there's anything you want to um, add to is probably any advice that you have for pharmacists um, going into 2024? Um, yeah, I, I think there's um, probably a couple of things. One is um, look forward and remain positive. As, a, as an older pharmacist, I've seen the profession go up and down uh, and there's always opportunity. And I think this, um, the, the opportunities with expanded scope that are coming through in the next you know, few years uh, gives a great opportunity for, for young pharmacists to really demonstrate their knowledge and their skills. So I, I would really encourage pharmacists to start planning now for the next couple of years. You know, it, it's not going to happen necessarily quickly and the, you know, just getting the concept that they're going to be out there doing these sort of services at some stage in the future is almost guaranteed uh, and preparing now and sort of setting yourself some achievable goals. So planning your CPD, planning your training, talking to your employers or, if, or talking to your staff, how are we going to prepare ourselves for this? How can we do it best? What can we learn from other people? And engaging with the representative organisations to, to, to be well prepared and, and think about the, the benefits for the patients, but also think about the benefits and the risks for the pharmacists and pharmacies. You can only expand services if you've got capacity. Uh, and sometimes if you do several things poorly, it's going to have negative consequences for you and the business. Sometimes other your pharmacists will just have to focus on what they do well. And, you know, I think sometimes the profession doesn't really champion how important we are just as dispensing pharmacists. It's such a vital role for the public and our patients. So some pharmacists are much more comfortable overseeing dispensing and, you know, becoming a dispensing specialist, I think, is a, a, a really worthwhile cause. Um, but just thinking strategically about where they want to see their career with these opportunities that are coming through from scope. Um, I, I think apart from that, um, there's always challenges with the profession um, and I, I would always encourage pharmacists to inv be involved with the representative organisations, with the PSA, with the Guild if they're a, uh, an owner, with the SHPA if they're a hospital pharmacist. Um, we're stronger if we're united um, and some of the pleasing work that we've done this year, we've done involved with all the representative organisations and the government agencies to see this scope of practice pilots expand. Um, and if they see that we're coming together as a profession to expand the scope and benefit the public, um, we get more respect and we get more engagement. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the future. So I'd really encourage pharmacists to remain positive about that future. Thank you. Is there anything you'd like to share that I didn't ask you about? Um, I would just hope that from a, while waving the PDL flag, I just always encourage pharmacists to have a look at our practice alerts. We, we put them out because they're things that are happening currently that we try to make them short and, and make sense to people and how they can apply them. They're available on the members page so they can go back and look at them. And they're a great sort of tool for staff meetings and staff training and induction. Um, and you know, we do get calls from pharmacists who are making mistakes um, based on uh, in the same area that we've put out a practice alert previously. We recognise that not everybody reads them, but we would just encourage them that, you know, this our, our touch point with the profession is our practice alerts and they're there to help reduce risk. So always have a look at them um, uh, because we really want to make sure that pharmacists 
are aware of risk and mitigate the risk as best they possibly can. And if they have any doubts or questions, they can always speak to myself or my colleagues. We are available 24-7. We do have an after-hours call centre that um, filters the calls out uh, late at night, but we are there for pharmacists with urgent concerns as well. So we really, again, in our way, want to support the profession as best we can. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP Podcast and send us a message.